The moment has arrived. I'm Joy Piedmont, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 4 of The Moment. Each week on this podcast, Tom Dickinson talks to a Doctor Who fan about a single moment from a single episode that they can't stop thinking or talking about. You may have noticed that I am not Tom Dickinson, and no, my show Reality Bomb hasn't taken over Tom's show. I'm hosting this week because this week's guest is Tom Dickinson. As you know, Tom usually hosts and produces this fine program, and previously co-hosted the very fine Harry Potter podcast. The chapter titles were so good. Tom and I discussed a moment from the Series 4 episode, Forest of the Dead, which is part two of a story that began with Silence of the Library, both written by Stephen Moffat. Forest of the Dead finds the Tenth Doctor, with fewer and fewer options for getting out of the library alive. The flesh-eating Vashta Narada have been picking off the story's supporting characters, including Donna, the Doctor's companion. Of course, most people remember this two-parter for introducing and then killing Professor Riversong, an archaeologist from the Doctor's future. She sacrifices herself, saving everybody who had previously been trapped in the library's hard drive, and ensuring that the Doctor will still know her in the future. And this is where Tom's moment begins. River this is her diary. has died saving all the people in the library. My future. And the Doctor and Donna are considering whether they're going to look through River's diary to what do you think? learn about their own futures. Shall we peek in the end? Because they've both gotten sort of inklings of what might be coming down the pipe for them. But they end up deciding not to do that. Spoilers. Because of spoilers. Right. So they leave River's diary and her sonic screwdriver on top of a handrail in the library. And as they walk out of frame, away from the camera, there's like a slow, gradual zoom on the diary. And you hear a voiceover narration. When you run with the doctor. From River. It feels like it will never end. You know, it's melancholy and However there's this hard you try, sense of finality. You run forever. Then the music kind of changes. It everybody starts building. that everybody dies. And, and nobody knows it like the doctor. In the background, out of focus, I do think we see the doctor all the skies of all the worlds sprinting just turn back into frame and into the foreground. For one moment, and he grabs River's screwdriver and he's just Why would I give him my screwdriver? Why would frantically, I do that? desperately thing is future me used to think about it. Thinking out loud. Used to think of a way to save her. What he did was give her a screwdriver. His future self Why would I do that? Must have thought of a way to save her. And so he pulls off part of the screwdriver's casing. And he reveals like a flickering very good. signal bar, which we as the audience know because of Technobabble earlier in the story. We know that that means a copy of River's consciousness has been saved that is barely, barely holding on. And the doctor just has to run as fast as he possibly can Everybody knows that everybody dies. to the center of the library so that he can permanently save River's every day. soul, her entire being, on a hard drive. Not today. Which he then does. I guess the obvious question to start with is, 
What is it about this moment that has stuck with you? Why does it resonate? It's a lot of different things. It's kind of an accumulation of things over the years because this is a moment that the way I think about it has changed over time. But I think the core thing is the way everything about the presentation of the moment, what the camera's doing, what the music's doing, where we kind of intuitively feel that we are in the narrative arc of the story, it's all leaning towards this is over, we're done here, We've lost a lot, but hey, that's just how it goes. It's kind of a familiar convention of dramatic television. It's something Doctor Who does fairly often. If you want, I could go and... Time we moved on. This is over. It's done. Mm. And then we don't even see where the Doctor and Donna are at this point. The way it's framed, the diary is blocking our view of them as they walk away. We don't see the moment when David Tennant turns around. We just see out of focus in the background. He's sprinting back into the frame like the camera itself. It has no idea what's even going on right now. Like the Doctor is just completely breaking all the rules. And he just runs back in because he just can't leave well enough alone. Mm. It's a fake out. You know, if you're not looking at the clock, you can almost think that we're in the last 30 seconds of the episode, but there's actually a few more minutes left to go. Yeah. So it's like the fun of the surprise in many ways, right? It's the fun of the surprise for one thing, but it's also a really interesting way to characterize the doctor. Mm. He's the person who can't abide by the rules. He can't accept it. He just can't do it, can he? Which is what River is saying. That man... Impossible, man. He's, he's basically breaking the rules of the narrative. He just can't give in. To give River a second chance. You know, we see this in Moffat's Doctor a lot, um, where the, the doctors that Moffat has written, and he's written for, you know, all of the modern doctors, they can't just let people die. They can't let it go. And Moffat as a writer... Everybody lives, bro. Rarely lets... Just this one. ...people just die. Everybody lives! Is it this everybody lives philosophy that is really resonating with you, do you think? It's not just that everybody lives. It's more the doctor's strong insistence that everybody lives as a character trait for him or for her. Do you think that there's like a conscious decision on the doctor's part? Like, I must save River because I care about this person or because, you know, I think this might be an important person to me in the future? Or is it really just a little bit of a like, I think I can do this and so I'm just going to do it? I think it's a little bit of both. He's clearly Spoilers. come to understand that River is important to him, but he doesn't know That's why. River song, University. To me. Mm-hmm. Who are you to me? He also yeah. apparently seems to understand something about himself. He's thinking about, well, if I have all this time in the future, then I must have I must have left a back door. The th- I, I don't think it's so much that he is intentionally doing it. It's more that that's just core to who he is. He can't not. Mm. You know, it's hard to think about this moment without thinking about it in context of, you know, what we later learn about River. In Name of the Doctor, she talks about this time. I died saving him. In return, he saved me to a database in the biggest library in the universe. Left me like a book on a shelf. She describes it as the doctor leaving her on a shelf. What do you feel about that? The way this episode portrays it. It's okay. This is a happy. You're safe. Ending for her. You'll always be safe here. This is a good place now. Given our subsequent understanding of the character, we now know like there's no real way that this could possibly be a happy ending, that she's essentially trapped in this idyllic prison with some kids that she kind of knows who they are. Um, (laughs) it, It kind of opens up the question, did the doctor do this for her or did he do it for him? And um, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. Do you think it's more one than the other, though? You know, I, I think it's probably more for him. I think he he genuinely wants to save other people for their own sake. But I, I do think that he wants to feel OK with the way things have gone. So he needs to give his companions a happily ever after. Mm. It's interesting that you say that the doctor 
isn't quite sure at this point who River is to him because I have always interpreted that final scene between the two of them as him coming to the realization, you know, this is this is my wife. Whether you know my name that I'm talking to. You whispered my name in my ear. You know, there's the, that gorgeous line where he tells her There's only one reason I would ever tell anyone my name. There's only one time I could. You know, Moffat's doing some really clever work here with the dialogue where he doesn't have to say explicitly, like, oh, we must be married. But I think that if you're reading between the lines... Is River Song your wife? And if you're inclined to, like, I am to be... Could she someone from your future? You know, shipper-minded. Maybe she talks to you. I've never seen anyone do that. You know, you think, like, like, oh, this is, you know, a romantic relationship. But did you get that impression when you watched it? It's definitely suggested. There's a moment where Lux says, like, And you're just squabbling like an old married couple. Mm. And then they do this almost comedic, like, kind of thing. <laughs> look at each other, like, Ugh? And then we later find out that there's a wedding in an alternate universe, or is it even really a wedding? Does What does he whisper to her? Mm. He whispered his name. Not his name, no. I think I yeah, eventually ended up deciding that he does know that they're married. But then the 12th Doctor says this kind of funny thing Except in Twice Upon a Time children. about who is allowed to know his name and when. Children, Children are allowed to know his name sometimes. Uh. <laughs> Hello? Hello. He uh, knew River when she was a baby. Baby. Uh, Melody. Melody. Hello, Melody Pond. So that kind of makes me revisit maybe what he's actually thinking there is, you know, oh, you've known me all your life. And that's the only that's the only way you could possibly know my name is if I knew you when you were a very small child. I don't know how that changes kind of the emotional valence of of that scene for me. But uh, I like the notion of the Doctor as having an air of mystery. We still don't really quite know everything about why he left Gallifrey. We still don't know everything, you know, quite about his upbringing, who his parents are. Is he he really a half-human or isn't he? And I think, you know, (laughs) is he even really married to River or they have a partnership so close that they consider it a marriage? Did the marriage in The Wedding of River Song really count or is there some other off-screen marriage? I don't feel like I need to know the answer to that because what they are to one another is more about how they interact. See you around, Professor River Than it is about... Till the next time. The word husband or the word wife. Oh, there's one more thing. Do you have any opinions about River in general? Like, do you do you like her? She's a pretty polarizing character. Yeah, and I've gone backwards and forwards on her. There's this sort of core of her story arc where you have series six is kind of the River story. And that series six story arc, I think, doesn't work more often than it works. I think there are parts of that that just don't, ring true in an emotional way or Mm. rely on characters to lie to one another for no readily apparent reason except for to preserve a mystery for the audience. And so I would have said that I'm overall not a huge fan of River until... Why would his diary be sad? I don't know, it's just that... The Husbands of River Song... You look sad. ...really closed the loop with this initial two-parter and kind of... Sneakyful? ...gave me... So? ...a satisfying river arc. The man who gave me this was the sort of man who'd know exactly how long a diary you were going to need. In the line between that story and this one, mm. that has overall increased my you know level of fondness for the character. He sounds mm. awful. I suppose he is. I've never really thought about it. You know, I'm just thinking about River's timeline and how complicated it is. Mm. So in a lot of ways, like, I kind of think about this first episode where she appears as her leaving story, right? Because she dies. And I was thinking about, you know, this moment in preparation, you know, to have this conversation with you. And 
I counted, and four of the moments featured on your podcast so far deal with companions leaving in some (laughs) form or another. So my question to you, I guess this is a little bit of a meta question, is why do you think that these companion leaving moments have come up so frequently for people as really important moments to them? I I think when you ask people about moments that had a big effect on them, it's usually the ones that had the big emotional effect. And you know, it's sad to lose something we really like Mm. or love. It's sad. So a feature of the Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat eras of the show is that the companions' lives become so intertwined with the Doctor that it takes a massive amount of emotional energy to sever that tie. And because of that need, I think that is where a lot of the emotional energy of the writing gets put. It's into the, you know, the sadness of Donna losing her memory. The, um... Am I ever going to see you again? (laughs) The separation between the Tenth Doctor and Rose. You can't. Uh, And even, like, the, the sort of joyful elation of, uh, well, then we could, um, you know, Clara stop off on the way. Having this opportunity to kind of be the doctor on her own terms until she has to go back and face her death. That's where a lot of the emotion lives in Doctor Who is in the is in the partings. Mm. So I think that's that's why. Do you, in your mind, think of this moment as an ending for River? You know, I I kind of don't. That is kind of an interesting question. What what even is an ending? Times end for River because they have to. exactly because there's no such thing as happy ever. <laughs> it does. It's just like, a lie we tell ourselves because the truth is so hard. In some ways, no doctor. The husbands of River Song feels more like you're wrong. An ending, even though it's happy ever after, doesn't mean forever. The one that's set right. directly before this one. It just means time. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it was written like it an ending does. because there was a time when Moffat thought that might have been the last episode of Doctor Who he ever wrote. So I think that has the emotional everything ends sense of an ending for me. As always, sad. This is it's both an ending and a beginning. It's but everything begins again too. And that's... It's very odd like that. Always happy. Everything we see after... Be happy. Season four, so every other time that River comes up, we're seeing the Doctor know River a little bit more. Did his behavior towards her in those episodes from this point on color or affect the way that you saw this moment where he decides to save her? Huh. I don't know that it really did. And I think the fact that it's a different actor playing the Doctor Mm -hmm. kind of insulates this from the behaviors of Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi because each doctor behaves so differently. Mm. I'm curious to know what you think about that, though. So I try and because I am a very linear person Mm. um, in terms of the way that I I think about things. Husbands resonated so strongly with me because of Forest of the Dead and everything we see there and then vice versa. So now it's like this feedback loop for me, at least. So I don't know that Matt Smith's performance with Alex Kingston affects how I view Forest of the Dead, but certainly Peter Capaldi's performance with her really makes me think back on Forest of the Dead slightly differently, just because, you know, I think about the doctor running to go save her, and it actually just highlights the capriciousness of that decision. In Husbands, he is so uncharacteristically warm towards her, and much more you know, for lack of a better word, like husbandly (laughs) towards her and a little bit possessive and um, jealous. Seeing him act like that, where there is clearly such an emotional attachment, really highlights 
you know, the actions of this younger man who doesn't know her, doesn't know how important she is to him. And it really highlights for me the thing that you were saying earlier, like it's a decision for himself. He's he's saving her because he knows that he has figured out a way. He kind of cracks the code, figures out what future him had decided and is going to carry out without really understanding what it means. We see the doctor do this all the time, constantly making decisions without thinking through what the consequences will be. You know, it happens to be that in this case, it's going to be a really good thing, but it's impulsive. And so that's why it really isn't anything that she does with Matt. It's more of that final episode with with Peter, where really casts that whole, you know, first story of hers in a different light to me. Kind of related to what you're saying, I've almost started to think of this story as a multi-doctor story. Sometime in the future, I just give you my screwdriver. Yeah. Why would I do that? This is a story in which the 12th Doctor is an active participant. Yeah. Happy Christmas. And there's no way... (gasps) It's a sonic screwdriver. Moffat could have anticipated quite the ways in which that would come to be the case. (laughs) But that's that's one of the things that's that's kind of wonderful about it. But also, I think another thing is the notion of the doctor not quite knowing why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, I think that's another thing that Moffat finds kind of beautiful about the character. Yeah. If you look at, again, Twice Upon a Time, the first doctor has fled from Gallifrey because he wants to find out what it is in the universe that prevents evil from just winning it all. Dash around the universe. And he has... Trying to figure out what's holding it all together. And you really... No idea that it's him. Really don't know. You know me in the future. Do I ever understand? And Bill, who's talking to him at the time, <laughs> reflects on the fact that Capaldi still doesn't even really get it. I really it. don't think you do. And just kind of laughs at it. And I, yeah. I, I think... Everyone who's ever met you does. You know, the doctor here, when I see him, like, running oh, with really? this... He has this, like grin on his face as he's finally saving her and i'm like oh you sweet boy you have no idea what you're even doing do you like (laughs) you have no idea what's going on in this story um i do because i'm the viewer and i know a lot more about doctor who than you the doctor know about doctor right right that's kind of the it's it's why i love husbands of river song so much because it made what was already one of my favorite stories even a richer experience um you know for me but this is your moment (laughs) That now I want to go back and rewatch Husbands again. <laughs> I mean, I'm always up for a rewatch of that episode. I'm sorry, what? He hasn't met me yet. You know, the whole thing kicks off with River saying, you know. I sent him a message, but it went wrong. It arrived too early. This is the doctor in the days before he knew me. But, you know, this message shows up on the psychic paper. River is sending it, hoping to get her doctor. But, you know, we've seen her with the 11th doctor, with the 12th doctor, which doctor do you think she's intending this message to go to that is an interesting question <laughs> i think about these things a lot tom huh if if there's one thing that husband's kind of there are stories about us you know oh, I tried to waves his hand and them up hopes you'll ignore you really shouldn't do that mm. some of them it's that river suggests that knows more in husbands than it seems like the very she last should know night we spend together is at the singing towers of Terillion. yeah i think the best way for me to reconcile that is that when River spends, how many years was it? 20, 23? Mm, 24. 24 years, that's right. When River is spending that time on Derillium, she's like leaving and going on trips, but still is, you know, with the 12th Doctor. And her realization in this episode, You're younger than I've ever seen you. You're younger than I've ever seen you, and this must be our last adventure. You've seen me before then. Um, what she's actually realizing is, Doctor. Oh no, Derillium's over. Please tell me you know who I am. Because she thinks she's still living those 24 years. And so she's trying to call her contemporaneous Peter Capaldi. 
That's the only way I can think of it. And I only just thought of it right now because you asked the question. So thank you. Wow. Um, And now you've answered a question that had been lingering for me, but I had not quite been able to articulate it because for me, one of the issues of this story... The last time I saw you, the real you, the future you... You know, if we're going to pretend... You turned up on my doorstep. That, you know, Moffat knew the end The new haircut and a suit. ...in advance. The way that she talks about... You took me to Derillium to see the singing towers. The last night that they saw each other. What a night that was. You know, it's not quite what happens in Husbands. Doesn't look very impressive, does he? Nardole, what have you brought to my doorstep? I've had a haircut. This is my best suit. It's not even a suit. But Moffat does his darndest to make it all fit. And it's it's one of the charms that I appreciate about Husbands. Um, but I, I very much enjoy this idea that maybe she's been gone off for side trips um, all the time on Derillium. Wow. Which makes it even sadder somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Jeez. It's <laughs> rough, man. Yeah. What do you think of this story in general? You know, it has a really interesting the piranhas of the air, monster that the Vashta Narada, you know Moffat introduced. Literally, the shadows that melt the flesh. Kind of in the classic vein of his taking everyday things that you know you didn't know you needed to be afraid of. Donna. Um, and then yeah, just like heightens it. Stare the shadows. Be afraid of your shadows. <laughs> Why, what's in the shadow? Um, and has this gorgeous idea of a... The library. A library planet. So big it doesn't need a name. Just a great big the. So there's a lot of really cool things happening here. What do you think of it as a as a story? When you look at it now, it's so clear that this is the pilot episode for Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who. <laughs> the, the opening scene is this... No, it's always different. Strange... The library goes on forever. ...vision of this girl floating through the library. How do you move around? And then she dramatically says... By wishing. By wishing. And it's like... Yeah, that's that's Stephen Moffat, all right. Yeah, it's, it is a very Moffaty script. It's got that line. The real world is a lie, and your nightmares are real. What a terrifying, terrifying concept! It must be a really scary place to live in his brain. Yeah, I, I think it's it's such an interesting beast, and there's something about the music and just even the way things are shot that just isn't quite the same as the Russell T. Davies era. You know, the Tenth Doctor is still very much himself. I'm a time traveler. I point and laugh at archaeologists. And Donna is very much herself. This isn't my real body. But I've been dieting. You know, it, it's it's so interesting how much this looks forward to the stuff that that takes place after it. Now that's an impression I can only have in retrospect. But even at the time, I mean, it was clear to me like this was a really different direction that Doctor Who was was heading in. Right, because it is actually even very different from. Moffat's previous stories for for Russell's era. Did it make you excited for the Moffat era? It definitely did. It really made me feel like even though this wonderful show that had an auteur vision from Russell T. Davies and Julie Gardner mm. and you know several of the other people who were involved in the production at high levels, it made me less sad to see that go because I knew that it, the show was in good hands. I think the biggest ingredient that excited me at the time... You know when you see a photograph of someone you know... But it's from years before you knew them. There's this kind of wonderful... It's like they're not quite... ...feeling in this story. Finished. They're, they're not done yet. That it's looking ahead oh. to the future... Yes. ...of the Doctor. The Doctor's here. Mm. But not my Doctor. 
there's this big thing that Russell T. Davies does as part of his, you know, bringing back Doctor Who project where the Doctor is kind of haunted by this mysterious past. He's got a lot of things in his past. He's got old companions and he's got old monsters. There's so many things that happened to him before that we're kind of gradually learning about. Here, the Doctor is confronting his mysterious future, which is something that I don't think has ever been done in Doctor Who prior to this. Are you Merlin? Uh, Well, maybe maybe Battlefield, actually. No. Mm. (laughs) But I could be. Come to think of it. In the future. That is my personal future. But yeah, so in, in this case, we hear about and he'd just swagger off back to his TARDIS you think you're good now the doctor I know would and open the doors with a snap of his fingers with a snap of his fingers he'd open the TARDIS nobody can open a TARDIS by snapping their fingers and we even see at the end of the episode that he kind of takes a baby step towards this grand vision of the future when he oh maybe I can just snap my fingers and it works that really thrilled me especially because I think at the time that this episode aired Moffat had just been announced as Davy's successor so seeing his excitement in the notion of the Doctor as a figure whose future is as mysterious as his past mm-hmm. that got me really pumped for the future of the show yeah I'm just thinking now too it is it is such a pilot because River's you know going to sacrifice herself and and the Doctor saying here time can be rewritten time can be rewritten and you know how many times do we hear that (laughs) time can be rewritten throughout the Moffat era of Doctor Who and River says not one line don't you dare not one line which is the Aztecs Write history, not one line. It's such an interesting gesture forward and back. I love that little bit. Right, right. I feel like there's a really sharp contrast between this and Journey's End. Journey's End, you know, he, mm-hmm. he puts Rose back, he wipes Donna's mind, and there's this Tenth Doctor thing from Russell T. Davies. You know, I, I, can't. I, I can't, I can't do it. I wish I could, but I can't. I can never go back. I can't. I just can't. I can't. Mm. One of the things I love most about Moffat's writing, which is just that the Doctor, it's less that he can't, it's more he can't not. Mm. The Doctor just cannot find it in himself not to save River. Also cannot find it in himself not to save Gallifrey. You told me you wiped out your own people, I just... Um, With a little bit of prodding from Clara. I never pictured you doing it, that's all. The rules say he shouldn't be able to do it, but he, he just he's just going to do it anyway because he's the doctor. And the doctor, I'm the doctor. The doctor saves people. And I save people. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say this as like a trashing the RTD era of the show because I do love the RTD era of the show. And I think the doctor's, you know, restraint from, oh, I wish I could do it, but I can't. I think that leads to some really uh, excellent storytelling. If my entire planet died. My whole family. Do you think it never occurred to me to go back and save them? But it's not like I've changed history. This is the version of the doctor that most resonates with me and the more i've seen other examples of him doing this the more i look back on this as almost like a thesis statement for who the doctor is as a person the doctor is the the person who who saves people and that is one of the things i love about the character it's it might be too early to tell but i know exactly who i am from what you've seen of i'm the doctor chibnall's doctor sorting out fair play throughout the universe do you think that Chris Chibnall's doctor is more in the vein of RTD doctor or Moffat doctor, as you've described them. I don't quite know yet because I don't know if we've really seen her put to the test in quite that way. What I keep thinking about is now we know Rosa. Mm. What our task is the doctor's job. Keep history in order is not to no changing help it. anyone. Just guarding it against someone who wants to disrupt it. And there's a Tomorrow, lot of people in that time period that could have used the doctor's help. 
I think there are a lot of really good extra diegetic reasons why the doctor can't swoop into the civil rights movement and become its hero, especially not a white doctor. Mm. I don't think I want that to be where the show goes, but I do think it's a vision of who the character is and what the character's responsibilities are that I'm interested to see further developed. Right. It's still early days, but I'm curious to see that. I, I don't quite have a read on her yet. Do you have a feeling one way or the other? <laughs> it's hard to say because I think that Chibnall's had it both ways in many cases. You know, you see in Rosa and Demons in particular say, mm. we cannot interfere. Prem dies today. We are going to let, I mean, in, in the case of Demons, we're going to let people die. We can't let that happen. It has to. Because for Umbreen to become your we nanny. We cannot change things. For you to exist, Prem has to die. And it's dangerous for us to, to try and interfere and change things. But then in Witchfinders... Uh, the doc said, don't interfere. You said, don't interfere, right? Don't cry, with you know, her. Also in the past, also out of I will still very be treacherous and, and perilous times. Still be with you. Where a particular group of people are being persecuted. Jump the witch! She steps in. Meet me on the other side. And she decides to try to save somebody. I'm not interfering. She doesn't succeed, but she tries. I think you're right. There's not enough information to be able to say, but it does raise this question, which I've seen a few people float recently. The doctor, as presented very often, is an alien who goes in and ha- thinks nothing of fighting for the rights of oppressed peoples or oppressed aliens, right, on other planets and in other cultures, but never does so on Earth. Um, and obviously, right, like the Doyleist reason is because it would severely alter history as we know it. And there is something about Doctor Who writers that makes them very, very loath to change Earth's history. But there is no in-world answer for it. Let's kill Hitler, literally. Shut up, Hitler. Rory, take Hitler and put him in that cupboard over there. Now, do it. Like, shoves right. Hitler in a cupboard. Putting Hitler in the cupboard. And says, we're not going to deal with this. Hitler, Hitler, cupboard. Right, right. Because Moffat's like, well... I can't answer this question right now. I think that that's also an abdication of responsibility, but it's. I think it at least hangs a lampshade on it and clearly signals. All right, we we know that we can't do anything with this, and I think I think that's something that a Doctor Who that wants to be socially conscious is going to have to find some way to deal with one way or the other. And I don't think there's any way to deal with it that's going to make everyone happy, which is, you know, that's Doctor Who. Well, that's all for this episode of The Moment. You can follow Tom on Twitter at NowWeAreAllTom, where he's witty and does fun things like live tweet the MCU movies in order as he watches them for the first time. Back in February at Gallifrey One, Tom gave an excellent talk on Doctor Who and ethics for the Academic Symposium. He has turned his talk into an equally great video essay that you can find on YouTube or via the link in the show notes. Watch it. I guarantee you will learn something. I'm on Twitter at InquiringJoy, and if you like Doctor Who podcasts, and I'm guessing you might because you're listening to this show, come follow and listen to Reality Bomb. It's a monthly magazine-style show about Doctor Who. If you enjoy the moment and would like to support the show with some dollars, you can become a Patreon by donating to the show at patreon.com slash the moment. Another way to help the show that is totally free and takes less than a minute is to rate and review the moment in iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how other fans will be able to find the moment. And hey, you know, a five-star rating, it's not too much. Nobody's going to judge you. You know, you can do it. This has been Joy Piedmont for Tom Dickinson. We'll be back in a moment.